I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's beautiful episode, I got to have my buddy, Mr. J.P. Sears, on the show for the second time. Uh, J.P. is you guys have to know him already from YouTube for his pretty hilarious parodies around ultra spirituality. Uh, he is a emotional healing coach. He's actually he's a seriously uh, grounded, deep fella, and uh, we we know him for his emotional parody stuff. But uh, yeah, worthy of looking into JP a bit deeper if you haven't already. His most recent book is uh, How to Be Ultra Spiritual: Twelve and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority, which of course that is a joke. Joking serious. A lot of really great gems in it as well. And meanwhile. It is maintaining the humorous, humorous spin. In this conversation, we get into all sorts of stuff, getting into his evolution as a man, evolution throughout his career, uh, working with things like insecurity and uh, scarcity is a big one. Also, JP kind of turns the tables on me several times, and I, of course, don't know what the heck I'm talking about, so you get to hear me take a stab at uh, some some questions that were better suited for him. <laughs> What I'm about to say is like really easy to say and probably useless words because it takes a lot of intentional action to embody them. But I, I think essentially saying yes to discomfort. Thank you so much for tuning into the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you will get yourself, for one thing, the show notes for this podcast. So you can jump on to aligntherapy.com slash podcast and get any name mentioned, any book, any relevant information. We put it all back there and you guys can grab it. So jump on there. And this podcast is brought to you by Ample Meal. If you have not checked out Ample Meal already, it is time to give it a go. They have saved my butt at many a conference. It is essentially like a meal replacement. Their intention isn't to replace whole foods, of course, but uh, really, really delicious whole food that you get from this stuff. You know, all you do is just fill the bottle up with some water, give it a shake, and you're off. It's got all the healthy fats. From, uh, what do we got here? I'm checking on the ingredient list here. From macadamia, coconut, chia seed, uh, grass-fed collagen, pea protein, four different types of fiber, chlorella, wheatgrass, barley grass, all the different things that you really need, as well as probiotics. So highly recommend checking them out and get yourself 15% off with the Align code, A-L-I-G-N code at amplemeal.com. So 15% off Ample Meal. Do it. Do yourself a favor. Uh, I got a quote for you. Quote comes from my, my lady, Miss Ida Rolf, and it goes a little something like this. Some individuals may perceive their losing fight with gravity as a sharp pain in their back. Others as an unflattering contour of their body. Others as a constant fatigue. Yet others as an unrelentingly threatening environment. Those over 40 may call it old age. 
If we just think of our physical state as an aggregation of all of our previous choices, then you might look at old age as you had more opportunities to get things right as well, as opposed to it's just this slow, steady demise down into the ground. So I think old aging is, uh, or just the aging process in general, from an unhealthy perspective, is a it's a perspective issue. So something to kind of ponder on. Looking at Ida Rolf, pretty interesting lady. All right, I think we're pretty good. I am heading, like I mentioned, Oregon Eclipse Festival, be up there teaching. Ancestral Health, be up there as well in Seattle. And uh, that's what we got. I'm recording a podcast with Carl Pally in a couple days. So tune in for that in San Francisco. And that's what we got. We're on the road, making this thing happen. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, look forward to hearing your uh, comments on iTunes. If you guys leave some comments, we will be sure to get you, and we read your review, we'll be sure to get you out a box of Four Sigmatic Mushrooms as well. All right, y'all, thank you so much. Here we go, back to the shizzy with Mr. JP Sears. Oh, crap, I forgot. There's, <laughs> I included a song. So there's an intro of a song with uh, by, by Jay Huss, and it's called Did You See? So you'll hear a little bit of this here, and then the full Jay Huss, Did You See? song in the end. Check Jay Huss out. Guy's legit. All right, here we go. Legitimate flipping over J.P. Sears. Bam! Did you see what I done? Came in the black bands, left in the white one. I'm just a hoodlum, I came with the bones and my niggas wanna try sir Came looking like a ganja farmer Did I did better hide his daughter Shake a bunda just like a tota Splash the bunda with holy water Lick a spice for the winter season Your chicken is a liquor season Yeah Did you see what he did? The black bands turn white and they can't believe it Make them repeat it, that's some new shit Align Podcast Good to see you brother, I realize it's been pretty much two years since our first, I guess, encounter via uh, Skype and discussion, and then certainly a thrill to get to see you for a hot, dusty, sweaty moment at uh, Symbiosis last, what was it, September? Yeah, yeah, that was, that was, um, you were pretty, that was like, uh, being around you, I felt like I was with like Elvis in an environment like that. Those are like, those like are like, a lot of people are your people, but those like, those are like really your people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so in feeling like you I was like Elvis you mean like you thought I was a really good singer <laughs> that's pretty much yeah that's what I was alluding I, to <laughs> that's what it was <laughs> yeah so what's new man you you I didn't realize you lived in Encinitas for 10 years I, I was doing some some uh, official stalking of you in the last couple few days and discovered that I, Appreciate that. That stocking makes me feel paid attention to. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah, li- lived there for 10 years, and then I've had my house in Charleston, South Carolina. I've been living there for the past three years. But now I'm in Costa Rica, cool. uh, where my lovely lady, uh, she's been based out of here for four years. Uh, her and I came together sometime in probably January. So we're splitting time being based in Costa Rica and being based in Charleston. So where? now I sort of kind of. All are, uh, live in Costa Rica. Uh, do you know Manuel Antonio? I don't. I know Nosara, and pretty much Nosara. <laughs> I was really yeah. hoping you'd say Nosara. Yeah, there's so many <laughs> points of reference in Costa Rica <laughs> that I don't know of. So Nosara, like I definitely know the name, but 
where I'm at relative to that. I don't know. It's on, on the Pacific Coast, if that's perfect. Of any point of reference. Yeah, yeah, that works out fine. Well, sweet man, I am um, I'm BTW. I'm recording right now. Um, I've actually been recording for the last like minute or so. I don't do any kind of like introduction stuff, and nothing started. Nothing ever starts. Nothing ever ends. I'm sure you can you can relate to that. Um, How conscious of you. To yeah, that. yeah, right. Exactly. I just I just record. If good things come out, great. If not, then uh, you know I I start it when when it seems like good things started happening so that's that's kind of kind of the flow fyi i enjoyed the book man i i um i wonder upon reading was that pressure for you creating the book and now you're like did i hear you say you're doing like some comedy tour stuff and things of that nature did i make that up with a little bit of uh mostly not made up stuff probably i for the past uh, three months or so I've been doing a lot of book touring and in that there's definitely kind of comedic show elements and I've been doing a lot of I guess speaking and performing at other events so yeah there there's that and then uh in near the end of this year uh we'll, we'll have more of a full-on quote-unquote t- comedy tour set up which will be um you know just like a comedy tour for its own sake rather than you having the event be about the book and I just do some comedy because that's natural to me. So long ramble made short. Yes. Yeah. So I wondered with that, if potentially you've experienced any type of like existential pressure type feelings of like, Oh my God, I need to, continue showing up with this shtick. I need to make this shtick bigger. I need to better myself. I need to, because you got really big on the YouTubes, like really fast. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now I'm going to kind of make a, make a legitimate production or a more legitimate production. I shouldn't say more legitimate, but do you know what I'm saying? Was there any kind of degree of like, what if people don't like me? Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, Of course there's that. And like, is there pressure to kind of keep the shtick going and make it better? Like, yes. And I don't like to be a slave to that pressure though. Like, yes, that's there. There's a part of me that creates that. I think more the, the action that I want to be aligned with is saying yes to change, Uh, the change that I feel inspired by, because I think saying yes to inspiration is what allowed me to create kind of the the cool stuff in the first place and continuing to say yes to the present moment inspiration I think is what will allow it to evolve rather than just be dogmatically stuck into saying yes to what worked for me two years ago so a case in point um the the past what the probably about six months give or take um, most of the time now when I'm doing comedy videos, I'm not in character, not with the headband on and flower in the hair. You know, that, that was a shtick that worked well. And it's still a tool in the toolbox, but there's just inspiration to kind of spread my wings beyond that. And and it used to be when I would show up in an event to do comedy, I would be in character, headband on. And... Yeah, it just that started to feel really small, like there's inspiration that wants to spread the wings bigger than that. So it's scary to say yes to change, 
because it, it, saying yes to change in a way it's saying no to what worked well for me. Yeah. But I think what served me well would start to really disserve me if I became overly attached to it. So doing my best to embrace the fears that come up when I say yes to the evolution, because the pressure, if I was a slave to that, it would just be, okay, stay attached to what worked well. But it worked well in the past. It's not necessarily like a present moment uh, a miracle. Yeah. So what do you see as far as like the evolution of the ultra spiritual movement? Are you like creating a tribe around ultra spirituality and kind of like mocking that? Or is that what is like the, well, the five year plan? Is that a ridiculous you, question? Well, it is a great question, but it, my answer is ridiculous. I'm like, ah, <laughs> I don't have a five year plan. But, uh, you know, I find I, you know, I used to plan a lot. And man, it was just a bunch of delusional crap that made me feel a little bit safer and certain in the moment. Like, here's my plan. I'm going to execute that, which basically meant here's the plan that I'm going to use to justify resisting what is. So, you know, I, my real plan is to uh, go by the feelings of my heart, navigate, you know, when something feels enlivening, I say yes to that. When something feels draining, I say no to that. It's kind of a Forrest Gump style of living, but I, I do my best to do that. So the, the like ultra spiritual, like what's the planless plan for that? It, it's to have the ultra spiritual thing as a root but allow the root system to grow bigger than that. So, yeah. you know, the, the, I guess the first couple of years of me doing comedy videos being essentially rooted almost exclusively in the spiritual genre was awesome, but it's like, wow, there's also a lot of other life outside of this spiritual genre. And I think the, the things that we call spiritual, aren't the only things that are spiritual. I think all of, I think life is the most spiritual thing we can do. So it, it's been feeling really good, really enlivening lately for, lately for me to uh, do comedy and share perspectives on different issues, be they human, issue, human heart issues or social issues that definitely fall outside of the genre of spirituality. Yeah. Uh, so it, that it, it really has been enlivening. It feels very purposeful and, and it would feel like a, a cop out yeah. to just protect myself in the proven territory that feels safe of spirituality. So yeah, there's a lot more to life. Yeah. So something I've been pondering on as part inspiration by you or kind of like witnessing myself with this is uh, having these feelings of kind of like making it through life instead of like really experiencing to the highest degree that you can, you know, and yeah. like going through your mind on a, on a regular basis, like what's in my bank account? What's my five-year plan? Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? You know, <laughs> Which is the whole, let me survive life mindset. Let me make it through this thing. It won't be enjoyable, but boy, I'll survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, that's like, you mentioned something that you mentioned that, that, that I really enjoyed was uh, growing up feeling too unsafe to feel the emotion of being unsafe. And yeah that I think is something that resonated with, with me and, and surely lots of other people. Is that something that like, 
how do how do you witness that and then how do you work with that i guess could be a direction yeah you know i what i'm about to say is like really easy to say and probably useless words because it takes a lot of intentional action to embody them but i i think essentially saying yes to discomfort is uh the key i mean what you know when i was a kid and i i felt challenging emotions be it shame guilt grief and I didn't feel safe enough to feel those unsafe emotions. It was essentially a mindset that says, I don't feel safe enough to feel discomfort. And like, awesome. That served me well in those various moments of childhood, but I'm not there anymore. Yeah. Yet there, there's still this programming from childhood that wants to um, uh, determine my actions of adulthood, which is essentially avoid pain. And, and so now I find there's so much fruit of life, so much meaning It's not survival ship, but meaningful life. They have thriving in life, not surviving it. That comes when I say yes to discomfort. And that might be, oh man, I feel this emotion. Let me actually embrace it rather than avoid it. Or it might be, oh, here's this inspiration to do something new creatively or a, a risk in business or a risk in a relationship feels uncomfortable, but let me say yes to it, go towards the discomfort. So I think if there's one ingredient for a successful life, if I were to pretend like I have the authority to speak on that, though I don't, but if I was pretending to, it would be a meaningful life comes when we learn how to say yes to discomfort and embody the yes, not just like talking our head like, yeah, discomfort, go towards that, like take risks, but actually live that three-dimensionally at least some of the time. Uh, you know, so that's some of my dogma, but I'm curious on your end, when you talk talk about making it through life, you know, kind of like surviving it versus uh, uh, finding maybe more meaning, more purpose, more thrill, yeah. Uh, what's your your equation for finding the balance? Talking, Not, talking to people like you, JP. <laughs> amongst you of being balanced. Yeah, right. Like, exactly. You know, I, I am, but in your so, search for balance. Yeah. So I I was talking to a friend recently, as in like last night about this, and like the, in the last six months, I I think almost for the first time maybe ever or so I've been feeling a little bit more like on an upswing of things, you know, like things of like, Oh, I kind of see where this momentum's going. And I think like, you know, I got some air underneath me here. I can kind of ride this for the longest time. And still, I, I still deal with all the, all the different feelings of like scarcity is a big one. The floor can fall out from underneath me at any time type feeling. Um, anything that you have, anything that you think you have, whatever connections, relationships, all of it can get erased, you know? And so this feeling like moving through the world in that fear-based mentality is something that's kind of plagued me for, I think my whole life, dude. <laughs> you know? So, um, I don't know exactly. I think that don't following, you know, Joe Campbell, like following your bliss as much as possible, you know, and sometimes it takes 
a little bit of time and doing to get the momentum and the, the wind underneath your sails before you actually feel any of that like, oh, you know what, I don't just need to push this trolley cart. You know, I'm actually rolling a little bit. But most of us, we just play it safe and we're always on kind of like the slave cart. And then that's, then we die. I love that. I, I think essentially what I heard you say is we, we create momentum, a little bit of wind in our sails. When, when we go into the, you know, the, uh, kind of the, the dark woods phase of the hero's journey, yeah. when we do that a few times and we start to realize maybe even at like a cellular level that a realization that says what scares me to death probably isn't going to kill me. Right. So it's like, oh, wow, I, I can take a little bit of a risk. And though my body reacts emotionally as though I'm scared to death and it can kill me when I say yes to it. Wow, it didn't kill me. So it's like, OK, there's a little bit of momentum. And when we can do that a few times in a row, I think we start to like retrain our programming uh, to not be so fight flight or freeze in the face of change and yeah and i think uh, that at least to me it's a powerful momentum uh, creator yeah so when have you felt momentum pick up in your life or have you yeah the uh, i think a, a couple periods uh recently two and a half years ago when i started creating comedy videos it was a huge momentum pickup and it was a a big yes to discomfort that's what allowed me to start creating the comedy videos it was scary as new territory i thought it would discredit me professionally so uh, but saying yes to that like okay now the comedy videos are bringing a lot of momentum and then about a year ago when I uh, uh, surrendered my need to have control over everything and brought on an assistant to work with me, that created so much momentum because I was finding, you know, really just a a symptom, me suffering the consequences of being a control freak. I was finding me controlling everything, me doing everything in my business, my work, had me spending probably 95% of my time doing administration stuff that like it needs to be done but it doesn't feel purposeful it doesn't like fuel me so when i surrendered control and brought someone on like wow that really uh, created some momentum for me and i think the underlying lesson in that that i want to take away and replicate is surrendering control helps me create momentum not haphazardly Like, oh, you do everything for me. And why don't you make my videos? And why don't you? No, it's like surrendering control so I can stay more aligned, swimming in my purpose more of the time. Because it's like I had been overworking myself, burning the candles at both ends and in the middle. Almost like in a way like I'm willing to die in the name of having control over everything. And it's like, wow, that's... Uh, it's not working for me. It's uh, creating a lot of suffering. And part of the suffering is like, I'm not able to say yes to my bliss because I'm so consumed by saying yes to all these other non-blissful tasks. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that it's the few people that you meet 
that are actually a that you can see they're kind of like thick in their bliss or they're they're able to actually take advantage of their own creativity those are the people that they have this spark in their eye and you're like huh what is that it must be like the <laughs> the collagen protein supplement or something you're like no yeah, i think it's in psilocybin and so if there's anything that i see you know somebody like you doing it's kind of starting to take down that shroud for people or you know through parody or through you know humor kind of starting to like make light of some of these things that you thought maybe you t- you took too seriously and it's like a lot of this shit that we're taking so seriously, you can pretty much just put down. <laughs> you know? and, yeah, I think <laughs> well said. I, I think the the mindset of seriousness is a fear based mindset of control. You know, it's a fear based mindset that creates a reaction in us that uh, makes us controlling. And and when we're serious about anything, whether it's a business, a relationship, uh, an idea, a philosophy, I think it basically means we're self-identified with it. And I think it's incredibly stressful and disconnecting for any any one of us to be self-identified with something that we're not. And like, yeah, tis the game of life. Yet, I think part of the game of life is letting go of what we're not so we can better embrace who and what we are. So when we take a look at what we feel most serious about, I think that's oftentimes what we're looking at is what we feel most self-identified with. And I think surrendering the posture of seriousness, it's not at all an an indictment that says, yeah, this isn't important to me anymore. I'm not being serious about it. No, we can be, we can have something that's incredibly important to us, yet not be so rigid, controlling and fear-based serious around it. To me, sincerity, being very sincere with something is a much better state of mind and heart to be in than serious. To me, surrendered means we're, we're uh, sincere means we're surrendered rather, con- rather than controlling. Yeah. We're curious rather than certain. And, uh, and I think that works for us. I think the Buddha... You know, I love to make any of my thoughts a Buddha quote because the Buddha has really <laughs> crappy copyright attorneys right. and uh, doesn't sue you. So what Buddha definitely taught was non-attachment. And if that's true, I don't think the Buddha's message was, yeah, be non-attached to stuff that doesn't matter. I think his message was be non-attached. Even to things that are most important to you, can you be non-attached? I think an attitude of seriousness is very synonymous with attachment. So when we can become less attached through the energy of playfulness and sincerity, I think it serves us well in terms of self-realizing because we're becoming less attached to what we're not, less self-identified to what we're not, and therefore maybe a little bit more fulfilled inside because we're becoming more centered in ourselves rather than losing ourselves in the name of worshiping what we think we are. Hey, come on in. Yeah. What are we I'm got? just talking to, oh, just a this an imaginary person, isn't it? <laughs> it's a beautiful I have person. friends outside of YouTube, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Promise. Who... Uh, who do you have in your life that challenges you? Who do you have in your life that you need to show up for? Because I feel like you probably, a lot of people 
would easily pigeonhole into a position of like, I don't know, whatever, whatever silly word, guru, mentor, like one of those. Like, who do you have in your life that, that pushes you? wanted to take a break and thank Four Sigmatic for supporting this podcast. As you guys know, if you leave a review on iTunes we and we read the review, we will send you out a box of mushrooms from those guys. Four Sigmatic is a radical company where they infuse various different medicinal mushrooms into teas and coffees, things like reishi and maitake and cordyceps and all the ones people like Tim Ferriss and all the guys are getting down on it. I love this stuff. Use it every day. Get yourself 10% off at foursigmatic.com slash align 10% off for sigmatic f-o-u-r-s-i-g-m-a-t-i-c dot com slash align here we go back to the show thank you it's a good question i think various people challenge me and push me in in great ways so on the the non-dramatic side i'd say my beautiful lady amber who uh, i was just talking to rather than the ghost she she really pushes me to show up in a very connective, intimate way, uh, a way that is food for my soul, yet it's not familiar patterning for me. So it's truly is new territory that she encourages me to show up into. And I love it. And it's in a way, it's absolutely a shattering of the old paradigm of existing in my head yet being emotionally disconnected and um, not living from my heart uh, it's it's not playing it safe to me playing it safe is let me hide who I am and be who I think other people want me to be rather than showing up and experiencing the fear of being seen yeah. I think there's a program that I have for my childhood that says, if you knew who I really was, then you could never love me. And then what I'm being challenged in with my relationship in, in the best way possible is realizing uh, if, if you don't see the real me, then you could never love me. Because I don't give you the real me to love, therefore you right. can never love me. So it's the exact Safe. opposite of my childhood programming. And... Um, yeah, so that it's a great, great challenge. And then on the more dramatic side of uh, uh, challenging, there's certainly, um, you know, what I would say the less enjoyable side of being challenged. There's, uh, I would say, people who want things from me with um, unspoken agendas, hidden agendas, that's challenging for me in, a, you know, a... Uh, various ways. One of the ways is it uh, challenges me out of being a people pleaser, where it's like if someone makes a request of me and it's like, yeah, I know they have a hidden agenda. I know there's a story under this story, but if I just say yes to the request, then that'll please them. They'll like me and then I'll survive. But that's that the people pleaser programming is like, oh, that was a mantra of my childhood for survival and now it feels like death to me. So now I'm being challenged to show up and have a freaking voice yeah. and ask like, okay, you, you said you want this, but what do you really want from me? Or voicing, it, it feels like there's something else to your message. Feels like there's an unspoken request. If so, what is it? Uh, and those are uncomfortable conversations to have because they're not engineered out of just pure dysfunctional people pleasing mentality. So yeah, a lot of a lot of people around me challenge me. Yeah, 
That's cool, man. Yeah, I um, I was fun- I was looking at your one thing you were talking about your comments, receiving comments on videos and such, and you're talking about like always like the trolls will always be there, and this idea popped up of. Have you ever heard of like hive mind mentality? You know, when you get a group of people together, it kind of becomes an organism in and of itself. Oh, yeah. Which is, I think that's like the same mentality where you could, whatever, trample a bunch of people at a rock concert and not really think too much yeah, about it. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if you, have you ever just kind of like reflected on, cause you have enough comments on the videos by now to almost see like a hive mind. Like you can see it's like a reflection of the human organism in all of those ideas. So there's like this self hatred that inevitably pops out, you know, and then there's a lot of like, go team, go GB, You're great. You know, <laughs> but there's always this lurking message of, you suck. <laughs> you know, and I kind of, I feel like that, I, I think that's something that I witness in myself, you know, and, and lots of, you know, I think a lot of people kind of share that where it's like, you can see if you look at a thousand comments, you'll kind of see a similar ratio of self-talk. Is yeah. that something you've ever kind of like witnessed or does that sound like some, some nonsense? No, it doesn't seem like nonsense. And I I think you've probably taken a more mindful look at it than I. Yeah, what you're saying, it definitely uh, resonates is true. You know, when I look back at the patterns of comments, like, let's say 90% of them are just awesome and supportive. And then 90% are the reflective uh, or are reflective of people who um, call it hate themselves, but project it outward. And they're hurt people who are out to hurt other people where no matter what you say, they're going to feel victimized and then outraged against you and you know, try to cut you down. I think, uh, a component of humanity is the, the dark side of humanity wants to cut other people down who are shining their shine because it reminds them of how they don't allow themselves to shine, how they dim their own light. And I think ultimately when we dim our own light, we resent the hell out of the part of us that dims our light. So we don't like to be reminded of how much we resent the hell out of ourselves. Therefore, those parts of us want to cut other people down who are shining their brilliance. And, and, like they might say stuff that we disagree with and they will they're a, another person but when they shine their shine it really gives us a contrast of how much we dim ourselves and how much we resent ourselves for doing that so yeah. i do think that's a part of the human condition that certainly shows up as a a pattern through any comment chain on any uh, corner of the internet for sure. Yeah. And I wonder if that serves some like evolutionary purpose with us having that 10% self-hatred or is that something that like, it's kind of, it's like, you know, we got bad apples or do we got bad barrels or, you know, or like who's making the barrels, you know, having these different, it's like, I am a product of my culture. Right. Yeah. You know, is there value in that or is it something, do we need to address the culture as a whole or do we start at the individual level or do we just keep it because it serves us somehow? Yeah, I think collectively you and I have no clue, but we should definitely <laughs> turn like the two. Yeah, right. So, you know, a, a thought, you know, like an analogy, like let's let's <laughs> distill everything down into an analogy so we can feel like we know what we're talking about. Right. So, like in the, what the hell makes pearls? Are they oysters or clams? Um, rich women in Malibu, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it was. I thought that's where they came from. It, it's like the, the imperfection 
uh, is what creates the the pearl, the oyster, the rich woman. You know, the pressure. The pressure. For sure. Yeah. So I think the 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 speck of dirt that is the negative, hateful comments do serve a purpose. Now, I, I think when it's a speck, it, it's it's awesome. But when it's, you know, certainly if it's 90% hateful comments, they're like, all right, we, we got a problem. Like now our bodies are overrun with parasites rather than just having 10%, you know, pathogenic crap in our gut. So, you know, I, I do find like part of my personal benefit when I see uh, people hating on me is it allows me to feel a strengthened resolve and commitment to voicing my voice. And if I didn't have any resistance to it, then I don't know if my resolve of honoring myself would become stronger and stronger. If everybody 100% of the time was just agreeing with me, I think honestly being in an environment where we're only agreed with is very comfortable, but it's not, um, doesn't stimulate growth. So I think, you know, there, there's, it's the resistance of the stone, the friction of the stone that sharpens a samurai sword. Yeah. And I think some of the hateful comments uh, do that. It's resistance to us voicing our voice, and therefore that can strengthen our ability to voice our voice, assuming we keep saying yes to it. Now, it, it could be intimidating. We're like, oh, the hateful comments. Let me shut down. It's like, okay, now we've instead of bench pressing the 150 pounds that's going to make us stronger, that resistance, now we're just letting it crush us. It's like, yeah, that's how we respond to the criticism, I think, is really what determines, is this strengthening us or crushing us? And and I think that's 100% under our control. And I would say, you know, I've only got a certain amount of – self-resolve i'd love to say like no matter what i'll stand for what i stand for but you know uh, i would imagine there's a point where it could be so overwhelming if everybody around me seemed like they were against me it could be much harder for me to stand my sacred ground but if it's 10 percent negative hateful comments like you know what that sometimes it's challenging but it's not overwhelming i can lift that weight yeah so uh, i think at least for me, life seems to serve up resistance that challenges me but doesn't overwhelm me. And my willingness to say yes, keep being me anyway, maybe makes me stronger and stronger, I hope. Yeah. And when you, when you see us become addicted to hypersterilization, which I think culturally we are, uh, you yeah. see, th- I, I, I think a correlation to maybe things like autoimmune disease, you know, or, you know, you could say the similar thing with like, like a Hitler, for example, where it's like, we're going to sterilize the people, you know, we're just going to have this specific, everything else is out, your concentration camp out of here, you know, and then it's like, yeah. well, then there you go. That's what you get. You know, it's like, I think having that acceptance of those darker premises actually allow them the space to breathe. And if they can breathe and they become accepted, then it's like, oh, okay, you don't really have as much power as you did when we were like stuffing you down. <laughs> For sure. I, I love the uh, hyper serialization uh, analogy. And I'm curious, what are some of the, the examples that you see in our life today where hyper serialization is at play? 
well, I'm barefoot right now. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm like standing out, which <laughs> I apologize actually, cause there's the occasional sound of a plane. Um, but I'm standing outside in my garden you know, to yeah. do this, you know, it's like yesterday I went surfing down at Venice and, uh, I think I stepped on a piece of glass and my, <laughs> skin, my skin, like it like bubbled up and like pr- this autoimmune, amazing re- immune response came back and like protected me. You know, so you see the people that kind of like live in the dirt when shit hits the fan, they're, they're fine. You know, they, they are already comfortable with that, but the people the you know, the pearl wearing people in, you know, like the, in in the Malibu or whatever, they, nothing gets Malibu, but if shit does hit the fan, they're actually in much more of a vulnerable state. Yeah. So they walk around the world, puff chested up, but then they're actually weaker than the people that are kind of living in the dirt. I I agree. And I I love that. And I think living in the dirt in all aspects of life, like, yes, the literal dirt where apparently children who grow up on farms aren't exposed, who are exposed to more dirt, more poop, they have stronger immune systems because it's the challenge that makes us stronger. And I think also psychologically as well, yeah. you know, the, the idea of like helicopter parenting, let's protect our children from feeling challenged. Let's protect our children from like uh, they suck at soccer. So let's make sure that everybody gets a first place trophy right. uh, so that they, they don't feel any kind of challenge inside that would maybe propel them to try harder. Let's make sure that doesn't happen. To me, it, it, it sterilizes our environment psychologically. And, and I'm not saying, like, go beat your children to give them adversity. No, not <laughs> at all. But I am saying your immune analogy, I think, is very true psychologically as well. Yeah. When we say yes to challenges, I think it's strengthening uh, our uh, whole self, the uh, immune system of our psychology, where we create resources that we, inner resources, or better said, we get in touch with inner resources that we otherwise wouldn't get in touch with if we didn't need them. Yeah. Much like if you're exposed, you cut your foot on the, the beach, you broken glass, germs in there, that evokes resources out of your body. It creates a stimulation that otherwise wouldn't happen if you didn't have the challenge of the, you know, the germs that you were exposed to. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of hyper sterilization that happens throughout society as well, because, you know, short term, it's pleasurable to have a comfortable life. Long term, I think that makes our life feel less meaningful and ultimately less comfortable. Yeah. We can wake up one day and say, like, wow, I am really in the coffin of my complacent comfort zone. How the heck did I get in here? Yeah. You are referencing one of the things that you spoke about in your book was the, uh, the everybody gets a first place trophy thing, you know? And, yeah. and one of the things that you said is like, that's a product of parents fearing being able to actually be real with their kids. Like, dude, you, you're, you're kind of fat. <laughs> you, know, like, you, got, you just, you know, you're thinly challenged. Yeah. Uh, you know? You know, but one of the things that you said in there that I was, I was, I was like, oh shoot, like I can't tell if he's completely serious or if this is kind of satire or or both, but you said you can't combine fear and love. They don't, they don't mix. And so these parents don't love their children. And I'm like, I'm like, you're joking, but damn, (laughs) 
<laughs> like I think that like the inability to love because we're trapped in our own fear, we're trapped in our own shit, and we call it love because that's just what you call it. But it are you ever actually great. accessing that? Yeah, we we can call, you know, we can look at a pile of horse poop and we can call it love, right? Because it sounds better. We can look at treating our children in a very disempowering way. We can call that love because it makes us feel better about ourselves and it makes us feel more justified. But I think the, the mother bird loves her little bird cubs enough that she's willing to push them out of the nest so that they can find the wings that they otherwise wouldn't find right. until they're in a situation that's pressured enough that they need them. So that's not the mother bird just providing a comfortable life only to her bird cubs and calling it love. No, to me, that wouldn't be love, even though it's called love. To me, the mother bird who says, yes, I love my bird, little birdies enough that I'm willing to push them yeah. so they can find what they need, so they can be challenged to find some of their own greatness, to find their wings that they otherwise wouldn't know they have if I didn't love them enough to push them out of the comfort zone of the nest. Yeah. Yeah, you. Uh, another thing I've heard you mention is is uh, there's two types of people. There's w- emotionally wounded people and people that what are in denial about their emotional wounds. Sounds like something I would say. Yeah, I definitely agree with yeah, that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Some wise man once said, uh, you know. So your own personal emotional wounds. Have you been able to identify and actually verbalize and connect and all that, all those words with, with them? Yeah, I think some of them, I'm sure there's still quite a backlog inside of me about my unresolved emotional wounds, but yeah, some of them, you know, I, I can bring words to it with with regard to like specific issues and events and then others like specific emotions so i think shame is a core emotion that's at a heart of a lot of my emotional wounds and i think a lot of my uh wounding issues have to do with feeling like i'm not enough to uh take care of my mom uh, she, when I was a kid, there were definitely times where she was just in bed riddled with anxiety, uh, not enough to make my parents' marriage heal. They went through a lot of times of separation, dad's drinking. So not enough to make him feel happy enough inside to not drink. So, uh, through the naive mind of my child self, much like maybe all children, uh, when stuff didn't feel right, I made it my fault. Like I, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not enough to bring stability to other people around me and the family as a whole. Um, so there's yeah, definitely a lot around that. Yeah, that's the the you could describe that as like it's safer to to blame yourself than it is to blame the people taking care of you. So if they're, if they're genuinely just like people on their path and they're addicted to drugs or that, you know, whatever it may be, it's safer for you to internalize that and still give them the control and say like, okay, no matter what, like they got me. Sorry about these, these goddamn sirens. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I, I think it makes us feel safer for uh, a couple of reasons. I mean, one, like you were saying, if we, if we don't make it our fault, then we realize like, wow, our, our caregivers are unstable. 
They're like human beings who have their own issues, and they're really just children who are wearing adult bodies. That would be scary as hell to realize that our our caregivers are actually as unstable as all other people are. So instead, we get to live the illusion they're they're the stable ones, and therefore it's I'm safer if I make myself the unstable one. And then I think also when we make everything our fault as children or adults, it gives us the illusion of control to the degree that we feel out of control about the overwhelming experiences happening in life is the degree that we crave a sense of control. So if I feel like zero to 10, if I feel like nine, a level of nine out of control with mom and dad splitting apart and they're always fighting, then I wanna create a sense of control. And if I make everything my fault, well, guess what? I'm in control of everything, or at least I have the illusion of being in control of everything. So it feels safer to be in control. Doesn't necessarily feel enlivening, doesn't feel good, but it definitely feels safer. And I think uh, people, especially children, are willing to die in the name of having a sense of control. We're willing to die uh, in the name of feeling safe, which ironically, it means we're swimming in emotional waters that are inherently unsafe and pretty harmful. But we do that because we feel safe while we're in those unsafe waters because we feel like we're in control. Yeah, I, I guess the kind of the existential crisis thing that I'll go through with that feeling of control is the feeling that I can't get that time back that I was just staying inside the bubble. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's like the sooner a person can get outside of that, the more all of a sudden, like their, you know, their lotus flower is able to emerge from the swamp and they're able to actually like shine, like you're saying, but it's, it's making that, that goddamn step (laughs) or or steps, you know, of coming out of the safety cocoon and going into like, you know what, just screw it. Like maybe all of my culture is wrong. Like more Joe Campbell stuff, like the detribalization, recognizing that you are a product of your culture and, uh, maybe saying screw it sometimes. Yeah, you know, the on the doctrine of maybe saying screw it sometimes. No, <laughs> I think it's something we all know, yet we all, to a degree, live in a way that makes us seem like we don't know it is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Uh, like, I think we all do that. Like, we we look for happiness where it's not. And we do it over and over again. We look for happiness uh, in whatever makes us feel safe and in control. And no matter how many thousands of times we've looked for happiness in that dark, dingy closet, we go look again. I I didn't find it on the first 9,000 tries. So let me try uh, uh, one more time. And then one more time after that. So I think your, your element of saying, screw it. It represents a wonderful pattern interrupt where we're not trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, but we're actually trying something new, whether that's surrendering control or connecting to our feelings or realizing, wow, it's not all my fault. Yeah. How do you, do you speak much about like details of your childhood as far as like how how rough were things? Yeah, and and I think on the outside, my childhood looked normal. 
like whatever a normal childhood looks like. But the, you know, the family looked normal. I think there was a lot of, uh, energy put in uh, like an unspoken contract that was, uh, living in the family that said, we need to appear, uh, normal, uh, therefore we keep things secret. So, um, I think that was a, a big, big, um, illusion. Like underneath it, I'd say the most challenging thing for me was how emotionally disconnected I was. Uh, and I think the emotional disconnection with my dad was the most apparent thing. I would experience a lot of shame when it came to vulnerability. You know, my, my father's father, so my grandpa on that side. I remember one time when I was five years old, we just lived with my grandparents for a year and a half while our family's new house was being built, it, which was wonderful. But on the night we were moving out and moving into our new house, I went to hug my grandfather and he pushed me away and didn't let me hug him. And he said, well, real men don't hug. They shake hands. And I was stupid enough to believe that uh, rather than being able to say, like, well, grandpa's afraid of intimacy. Like, what the fuck happened to him when he was a kid? Uh, yeah. So, you know, that that w that's just an example of the emotional disconnection that was one of the, the Ten Commandments, if you will, at least from my father's side. So it's taken me a long time to um, uh, wiggle my way into this beautiful yet scary thing called emotional disconnection. I still have a long ways to go. And, and then, you know, being honest and real with my emotions is scary because I didn't feel like there was space for that in my childhood because mom seems so upset and unstable and dad's so emotionally disconnected, which is probably even more unstable than a mother who feels upset. Right. So, yeah, I, I lived very numb as a child, um, very, very numb as my way of dealing with pain, which was to uh, not deal with pain. Just it was so much pain that it was numb. Yeah. Do you still see any like reflections of your father pop out in yourself or do you feel like you've really, you know, developed resolve and, and learned from your experiences and such? Yeah, there's definitely still reflections from my father. And it's like, you know, when we're born, we have fingerprints. Those aren't going to change. So I think my my pattern of being emotionally disconnected, I'm not convinced that that's ever going to go away. But what I believe enhances my life is when I add a lot more to me than just those dysfunctional fingerprints. So instead of it taking up 95% of the surface area of my life, if the emotionally disconnected patterns can take up instead like five or 10% the surface area of my interaction with life, then I'd say like, wow, that's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, I definitely still feel it uh, come up, you know, especially like when I'm talking to my dad, like it's so easy, like, Oh yeah. Uh, what's the weather like there, dad? And I was like, okay, yeah, it's very meaningful conversation that feels safe, but empty. Um, so for sure, I, uh, long story short, I, I have to be very vigilant and hopefully at least some of the time notice when I'm oscillating into the convenience of being emotionally disconnected because quite honestly, I think two things, the people around me deserve way better than just me living in my head. And I think I deserve way better than just me living in my head. 
Well, I mean, you can hear it in your tone of voice. You have this consistency of your tonality and the way that you speak. And that's what, from what my vantage point, kind of what like gives you the humor is people can't really tell whether you're serious or, or joking, mm. you know, and you're kind of like, Whoa, you know, and it, it seems like as you're speaking, it seems almost like you've used that as a, as a tool, kind of like a compressor. I don't know if anybody's familiar with like audio sure. stuff, but it, it shuts down the highs and, and the lows. It kind of keeps us hundred percent in the middle point. You know, I wonder, do you, that's obviously so, so sounds like something that you've, you've kind of witnessed, but do you ever ex dabble in, in the red zone or the you know, going off the charts as well? Well, you know, I need more of that to be honest with you. Um, and I, I love your assessment. It, to me, it's a hundred percent, right. That part of my humor that comes across as a deadpan, you know, kind of satirical straight face. That's very much a byproduct of my emotional disconnection as a kid, hopefully now used functionally and for the betterment, but certainly it comes from my childhood. And when it comes to like redlining, yeah, I need more of that. Like in, in both directions, both the direction of excitement yeah. and in the direction of, uh, anger and deflation and grief. I, I need more of that. I, uh, almost exactly a year ago, I did a Tony Robbins event, his Unleashing the Power Within, and it was uh, really, my mind was blown how beneficial it was for me. And the biggest benefit I took away from that was connecting to uh, the passionate energy that's always inside of me. The question is, am I saying yes to it or am I repressing it? Right. You know, being the stoic, straight-faced, you know, numb person uh, that I've been for a lot of my life, uh, it's very easy to stay disconnected from passion, but life starts to feel so lifeless without passion, yeah. whether it's passion for excitement or passion for emotional upset or sadness. I think we need red. I, I need more red lines, not to be stuck at a red line. I think I need to hit the extremes, but also reside in the place of balance in between uh, some of the time. Yeah. I, I, noticed that with myself as well, where I'm like, I don't remember the last time that I was angry. I can remember uh, like to the T the last time I was anxious. So it was like yesterday. Sure. So, uh, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta wrap up. Sure. When, when are you going to come back out to Encinitas territory or West coast in general? It's a good question. I was actually just in Encinitas a few days ago. Just, it was like maybe two days all together, just okay. a lot of appointments and did a book event in La Jolla. So, um, man, there almost zero downtime there to just right. sit and breathe and enjoy Encinitas and, and to connect with meaningful people like yourself. So long story short, I'm not sure when the next time will be, but it's always on the, the map. It's just a matter of when, not if. Okay, cool, man. Well, um, yeah, next time I'm in the Central America, I'll hit you up and or if you cool. make it to the West yeah, Coast, please. hopefully we can link up. Um, how do people, I mean, I guess people already know who the hell you are, JP, but how do people like find your stuff, find the book, get the book. That'd be, that'd be a good thing. Where yeah. You, you know, so social media is a great place to find me. Awaken with JP is, it's, um, it, it is all my handles. And then my book of, is available in all the usual places. Uh, Amazon is probably the easiest place to come across it. Cool. Sweet, man. Well, it is always a pleasure. I look forward to continuing 
digging into what the hell's going on in this world with you down the line. Yeah. Thank you once again so much to Ample Meal for bringing us this podcast today. They are a delicious meal replacement, which is a delicious bottle. All you have to do is throw some water in there and get yourself all the healthy fats you need. It's got chlorella, wheatgrass, barley grass, probiotics, mac, nut, coconut, chia seed, all sorts of great stuff. So check that out. 15% off at uh, using the Align code, A-L-I-G-N. Use that at checkout at amplemeal.com. Thank you people so much. Align Podcast. Thank you once again so much for tuning into this podcast. If you guys want to show some support, show some love for what we're doing here, um, you can jump on the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. And then from there, a couple things you can do. One of which you could actually donate through Patreon. There's a link on the right-hand sidebar of the blog and podcast page. Uh, You can utilize the Amazon affiliate link. Uh, Anytime you or anybody you know buy some crap on Amazon, please and thank you. Bookmark that link. Every time you do it, we get something like 7% of your purchase and it helps support this show. It is awesome. So great. As well, something you could do that is ultra helpful if you or anybody that you know has ears and likes books, uh, tell them to check out the audibletrial.com slash align. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash align. And then from there, that is, uh, you get a free audio book from Audible. They have something like, I don't know, a bajillion different titles to choose from. Uh, one that I would recommend that I got from them was Shantaram. I, it's a huge book and, uh, again, all free, no matter what size the book you get. And that got me through, I listened to that as I was traveling through Morocco and uh, just really, really amazing website, uh, amazing service. Couldn't recommend it more. And uh, it kicks us down some scratchola every time you guys utilize that free thing. Costs you absolutely nothing. And you get a free audiobook and you support the show. Boom. Um, Thanks so much for reviews on iTunes. That's greatly appreciated. And thanks just in general for listening. Thanks for supporting. Thanks for for spreading the word. All right. I can't express enough how much I appreciate all that. If you guys ever have any questions or comments, you feel free to email me directly at Aaron at AlignTherapy.com. And I would love to talk. All right. See you guys. Thank you for listening and remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast. Did you see what I done? Came in a black pants left in the white one. I'm just a hoodlum, I came with my bones, some of niggas wanna try something Did you see what I done? Came in the black pants, left in the white one I'm just a hoodlum, I came with the bones, some of niggas wanna try something Came looking like a ganja farmer Did I did better hide his daughter Shake a bunda just like a torta Splash the bunda with holy water Like a spice for the winter season Your chicken is a liquor season Yeah did you see what he did? The black pens turn white and they can't believe it. Make them repeat it. That's some new shit. They've never seen it. You should feel it. Meet and greet it. I'll be a genius if I didn't think with my penis. Get them thinking I'm awesome. Man, them approach with caution. True say we came with the bun. Some but true say we came for the bun. That's some brown thing that I can put my paws on. 
you see what I done? Gave me the black pants left in the white one. I'm just a hoodlum, I came in my bones, I'm a niggas wanna try some. Did you see what I done? Came in the black pants left in the white one. I'm just a hoodlum, I came with the bones, I'm a niggas wanna try some. Came smelling like I robbed a nine bar. Looking for the baddest diva Hold up, let me analyze her Party looking like a hypnotizer Come let me try some something you can climb on Oh, you're a shy one, you tryna hide from Baby, jump in a black ride And put your friend in a white one I'm a pencil addict Pulled up in traffic Me and my friends switch cars and they look like magic They've never seen such a skinny man in a big puffer jacket That's unfamiliar I keep looking like a bodybuilder Out there is windy enough No wonder I'm into enough Don't you wanna see the interior? Did you see what I done? Came in the black bands, left in the white one I'm just a hoodlum, I came in my bones I'm a niggas wanna try some Did you see what I done? Came in the black bands, left in the white one I'm just a hoodlum, I came with the bones I'm a niggas wanna try some Did you see what I done? Came in the black bands, left in the white one I'm just a hoodlum, I came in my bones, I'm a niggas wanna try some Did you see what I done? Came in the black bands, left in the white one I'm just a hoodlum, I came with the bones, I'm a niggas wanna try some